What if one of you is the monster? Monster? They're British, you know. Hello, I'm Chris Denton. And I'm Paul Monk. And we are a very British horror streaming exclusively on BBC Sounds. Well, no, we're not. I mean, we're not doing that. That, that isn't true. But, you know, it might be true one day. So I thought I'd just say it now just in case it becomes true. And then this is an accurate reflection of that situation. And, you know, um, yeah, probably shouldn't have said that. Anyway, what are you, Paul, on, what are you <laughs> on about? I just, you know, I just wanted to feel like a really big name, big podcast like got advertised on TV just for a second there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, apologies to BBC Sounds. We're not associated with them in any way. Okay, Paul, uh, moving swiftly on, what film are we going to be talking about today? I, I was really tempted to just do this whole uh, intro just saying, mind the doors. But I'm not going <laughs> to I'm, I'm not gonna do that. Um so we're, we're doing the 1972 film Death Line, or Raw Meat, if you're somewhere else. In North America. Yes. Yeah. So this is one of the most requested films um, to cover that we've ever received. So all those people who've said, why don't you do Death Line? You should be doing Death Line. You know, stop messing around and do Death Line. And there yep. was actually a tweet like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here it is. Here is the Death Line episode. So it, it is. You're going to regret it now. <laughs> You've only got yourselves to blame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I've got a really exciting fact about Death Line, which I think okay. is probably on the Wikipedia page, right? Um, so let's just start with this because I think I thought I find this absolutely. Like I can't even get my head around it, but it is apparently okay. true, right? That that uh, Marlon Brando accepted the role of the man in Deathline. Now, now I read that, and I just thought, <laughs> yeah, that is you're just having having him on, and is that because obviously that's I think that song isn't that on the Wikipedia page? Is it on the IMDb page as well? Obviously, betraying our, our uh, extensive research material. Well. So, so it's mentioned in the booklet in the network Blu-ray oh, okay. as, as well. Uh, and the thinking goes, I think, that Marlon Brando had made a British horror film the year before. In 1971, yeah. he was in The Nightcomers. Now, and to segue for a, for a minute into something else, um, the, the Nightcomers is, is like, oh, yeah, big Marlon Brando, British horror film, classic era. There must be a reason why I've never watched that. And then I looked it up and went, oh, yeah, it's a Michael Winner film. <laughs> that's, uh, why, yeah. that's why I've never watched it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it does actually look pretty interesting. It's a prequel to The Turn of the Screw with, um, with Marlon Brando playing, um, what was his name, Peter Gint or Quint? Peter Quint. Okay. Yeah, um, who, the, the character that um, Jason King... Peter Wingard plays in The Innocence <laughs> when he's when he, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so <laughs> I'm just like, well, that does look pretty interesting, actually. And apparently, uh, that that film was also produced by Alan Ladd Jr. And the next year, he said, "Oh, Marlon, come back to London. We're doing another one." And Brando was like, "Oh, sure, fine." And uh, then, unfortunately, Brando's son got ill, and so he had domestic issues, and so uh, Brando wasn't in fact in it, but. It would be a much bigger film, wouldn't it, if it was Brand? No, no offense to Hugh Armstrong, whose performance as the man is excellent, and we'll discuss that as we go yeah. through. But um, you know, 
if this was a brand new film. I, I think I think he probably could have done it quite well because he's he's generally kind of quite mumbly anyway, isn't he? So he would have been quite quite good. You can see what attracted him because Brando hated learning his lines, didn't he? He famously wouldn't yeah, do yeah. that. Had the cue cards and the stuff. Yeah. And, and, and there were no lines to learn because the I mean, man you'd like you'd like to think that he could learn the lines. There is one line. Yeah, you'd like to think line. at least he would would actually uh would actually learn that. That would be quite quite good. <laughs> Maybe, but he might have improvised something completely different. Didn't he improvise in Apocalypse Now? Didn't he improvise his dialogue? I've, I've been feeling yeah. So I for for, for Superman, he he just read it off cue cards, and then yeah. Apocalypse Now, he he just improvised it. <laughs> <laughs> Both spoke a load of rubbish and insisted they didn't show his face or something like that, didn't he? <laughs> Okay, so, so yeah, he was on the way to getting a bit crazy and um, uh, becoming a very difficult man to work with in the seventies. Yeah. But um, but this role, I think he still would have been perfect for, and indisputably one of the all-time greats as well. So like a bit of a missed opportunity, maybe. But you know, um, it was a big opportunity for Hugh Armstrong, who plays the who, who plays the man, and whom we did see yep. in. The previous film we talked about in the previous episode, because he was in Mumsy, Nanny, Sonny and Girly, he played friend in number five, uh, which is a very, yeah. which is a small role. And I never thought twice. I, 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 I remember him in it, but I, I didn't notice him because I didn't recognise him from... And I didn't recognise him because it's been a long time since I'd seen Deathline, but also because... In Deathline, he's got a beard and makeup and stuff, and he is very un- difficult to recognise. Looks very different <laughs> to the way yeah. he looks in that yeah. in that film. But, but uh, it was a nice little link between between the, the the two, and and how Hugh Armstrong got the role that uh, Brando had withdrawn from. I, I mean, because you, you go from big star to actually get another big star. Let's just get someone. <laughs> Let's just get someone I, who's around. But, I would just, I would assume that if you've got someone like Brando, that that then gives you access to more money. And when you lose someone like Brando, that money goes with him. So it's like, yeah, let's just fish around for somebody else that can do it. That's going to do it cheaply. And, and Hugh Armstrong was principally a theatre actor. Yeah, yeah, I remember looking him up. Uh, and he, he sort of he's he's a, a done quite a lot of bit parts in, in things, but not nothing that significant really. But was was with the Royal Shakespeare Company, and it was at the National under Olivier yeah. and stuff. So so well, uh, had had been a distinguished theatre actor, not unlike Michael Bryant actually, who we. We talked about yeah. last time. So, but and this was someone um, Armstrong making a rare foray in, in, into cinema. He, he, I mean, he carried on working. He's in How to Get Ahead in advertising. Sort of, yeah, twenty years later, or nearly twenty years later. Um, he's died now, sadly. But the, he, then there's an interview with him on the on that Blu-ray I mentioned, and that, that those are the two extras, in, in fact, this the, right. the booklet and the interview with you on Stroker. <laughs> so we've covered them now. <laughs> but, uh, it's, yeah. So uh, we should say something about the plot to Deathline. It's a pretty simple plot. How, yeah. would, how would you characterise it? 
uh, simply uh, it's some people go missing at Russell Square Tube Station. Yeah. Uh, one of them is uh, a minister of, of the government, government yeah. minister. Uh, so it's quite, he's an OBE, as it's quite pointed out quite often. Um, and he, he goes missing, which causes a bit more of a interest in it. Um, there's this young couple who find him uh, in, unconscious in the tube tube station. They get a policeman to come down there with them, and he, he the person's no longer there. Um, the gist of it is that it gets investigated. Some workers disappear, and there's uh, cannibals living in London Underground, or a cannibal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because. If you look at the poster for this film, you might be forgiven for thinking there are hordes of cannibals. Yeah, that's the American. That's the raw meat poster. Yeah. Um, so and that, that's kind of the gist. And they were, were um, descended descended from a group of people who were trapped down there um, while they were building the station. Is that right? A hundred years ago, a, a station yeah, in the British Museum. Yeah, so which was actually museum, which was actually an actual station, um, and the uh, it, there was an accident where some of the roof caved in, and the company went bankrupt and just didn't bother to try and rescue any of these people, and they've lived down there and have descendants and have become these these sort of Neanderthal type creatures that live down there. Yeah, that's right, and it's that's the gist, basically, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. So that there's people underground. So and, and and other other films, other things have used a kind of similar idea about people being trapped underground and living there. I mean, we've had that in At the Earth's Core, but I, I was I was I was thinking of the descent. It reminded me of the descent. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so and, and to, to flesh that out, actually, the uh, James Manfred OBE, who's, who's the, the guy yeah. that, that goes missing, he is, you know, he's sleazy as hell. He's been he's wandering oh, around yeah. Soho, going to peep shows and stuff, and then he, he stops a random woman and <clears throat> to, to something extremely improper. <laughs> and, uh, I, I just want to just wanted to say that generally geography wise. He, he, he's seen walking into, into Russell Square tube station to get the last train. Now, clearly he's been into Soho beforehand. That's, that's quite a longish walk from Soho to Russell Square. And there were plenty of other tube stations he could have gone down at that point. Well, was he, I mean, we, we should get the tube map out. To map out oh, up and trace you. his route. Maybe, maybe he was, um, maybe he was changing at Russell Square. <laughs> Can you do that? <laughs> uh, no, because he he wouldn't have had, had to have. He wouldn't have had to have got got out. Well, the station. The station's on the Piccadilly line, right? So that's yeah. the so so from Soho, that's um, Piccadilly Circus, isn't it? Yeah. So so you, you yeah, he is on the right line. But he's but no, it shows him. There's a scene where. Where he's walking into the Russell Square tube station at the beginning, so he he's outside of the station. Yeah, and it okay. comes after the 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 scenes in. I mean, 
maybe there's like a, a, a CD kind of red light district around Russell Square that I'm not familiar with. Um, and so he, he but he's, um, yeah, if he, if he is in Soho, as you're led to believe, that, that's quite a long walk. There's nothing in that. He might have decided to go for a long walk. But... Yes, yes. Well, uh, the geography of London, because we're talking about, <laughs> uh, we're talking about American do- writer director aren't we and and the, uh, and also you, you know films use um license poetic license yeah i mean it, it's something that um happens quite often you'll see tower bridge and then suddenly you'll you'll see um big ben and you're like i'm not sure they're next to each no, other no, russell, russell square does <laughs> yeah. russell square does make sense in terms and this is why that was probably chosen it does make sense in terms of uh, its location where it's located near the British Museum, because I think that the uh, that the um, the museum tube line tube station would be fairly close to Russell Square. Yeah, yeah. So that makes a bit more sense. Yeah. So okay, f- fair fair enough. But, but he may, he might have just decided to go for quite a long walk. That's well, right. he, he might he might have indeed. Um, he might have been walking because he might have been drunk. They 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 think he's drunk, although um, he may or may not be. No, um, he might have been just getting some 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 air after that. But he he seems to be on a bit of a <laughs> on, on on a mission. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he he's not presented. We don't see a lot of him, but he's not no. presented very sympathetically. There, there is that similar character in Hands of the Ripper, isn't there, who turns out to be quite, who's, who's an MP yeah. Yeah. Uh, turns out to, to be quite complicated and interesting, whereas this, this guy is just an he's just, out and out he's just sleaze proper sleaze, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and let's, let's talk about the, the, the young couple that, that, find, that find him. So yeah. um, there's a guy... Um, his oh, I've gone to the Russell Square page. So there's a guy. <laughs> his name is Alex, and he's played yeah. by David Ladd, who is Alan Ladd Junior's half brother. Okay. And Alan Ladd Junior and David Ladd are both sons of Alan Ladd, who was a, a, a film star in films. Generally speaking, people haven't watched, although he, he's in Shane. Is that him? I think that's him. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, don't know. Yeah, um, I, th- I think I think it actually is. I'm, I'm now I'm now clicking through to see. To, yeah, Alan Ladder Shane. That's right. So, <laughs> um, he's not that much remembered now, but he was a big film star, which is how Alan Ladd Junior became to be a came to be a top producer. And in fact, David Ladd himself became a top producer after this. Okay. And married Cheryl Ladd. Ah, I was going to say, is there any connection? Yes, <laughs> she, she, she's not. A, she's she's a, a lad by marriage. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but they're obviously one of the big Hollywood families. Um, but you wouldn't know it from his performance. <laughs> so right. I, I think I think I think it's 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 fair to say that his his position as Hollywood royalty probably is the reason he he got this role and he probably didn't audition <laughs> yes yeah he's not um he's not uh yeah 
trying to think of a way of putting it nicely, but yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote that his character isn't very sympathetic. No. But he, he doesn't come uh, across as nice. And it's not... No. It's, it, I mean, Deathline in many ways doesn't follow the um, traditional British golden age of horror um, format. But in this regard, it does, because he is a juvenile lead, right? He's not really this the star. He's really the juvenile lead. Yeah. They often have. So, uh, and the other juvenile lead is Sharon Gurney as P- Patricia, his girlfriend. Yep. She's English. She's got a kind of 70s haircut and things. She's fine. She's all right. But yeah. Sharon Gurney's career, I think, was pretty short. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't say I'd never really heard of her before. No, I don't think she's in. And the guy, the, the guy who plays the the uh, minister, um, James yeah. Cousins. James Cousins, yeah, he's a. So he's he's in like hundreds of things. Isn't he's he? a like, face he you like... immediately recognise. He was in Forty Towers. Yes, <laughs> isn't he? And he he doesn't he do lot. He does lots of bit parts in sitcoms and things, doesn't he? Or is it... Yes, like you said, Forty Towers. But I don't know. Bless this house. Um, some mothers do have them. Uh, oh, good life, golden gun. Love thy neighbour. <laughs> he's he's one the of those Davison show. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's one of those actors, isn't he? That that sort of uh, if you've got some English bureaucrat, he he would be the person you'd cast to play play someone who who was like some sort of official well that's right and he was in a number of horror films so he was in um, the lost continent which isn't a horror film but it's a hammer film uh, yeah. the horror of frankenstein uh, blood from the mummy's tomb fear in the night so um yeah <laughs> but like you say somehow the man with the golden gun um with his deathline co-star yeah because, because Deathline does include a cameo. It's basically a just. cameo from Christopher Lee. Yeah, just about. <laughs> it's one scene. So, so, yeah. so uh, yeah, Christopher Lee plays uh, like an MI5 operative called Stratton Villiers. I don't think he's actually named on the screen, but no, Stratton Villiers. Apparently, he was he he wanted to do it because he wanted to work with Donald Pleasance. Yeah, so they they had a day together uh, yeah. I think they did this they did this scene together. although although apparently the way this scene is shot and I noticed this when I was watching it that they're not in the scene together except right at the very end and I thought I thought that was because I mean I noticed this too so I thought it was because they weren't actually together uh, no. filming it together but they were it was just the the, the height difference between yeah. between Christopher Lee and Donald Pleasance men that they couldn't be it was just it was <laughs> made it difficult to film i don't really buy that because i think there, there must be other times when christopher lee was some someone that was quite a bit shorter than him and yeah i don't buy that but well yeah cushing's not six foot four is he so. No, exactly so <laughs> but that that's it that's the explanation for the weird yeah. that shot <laughs> but, but it is it's a bit weird i did think it was a bit weird because it's 
just done in close up to close up to close up. And there's no sort of establishing shot of them, both of them or anything like that, is there? He's no, no, it's strange. And there's two things, right, that, that this conversation leads on to. One, so the star of the film is Donald Pleasance. Don, Donald Pleasance playing definitely um, in, Inspector something or other. Uh, Inspector Calhoun or something. I think that's yeah. Right. Um, and he's a, st- yeah, he, he's a working class uh, policeman. He's made it up to inspector, but he's counterpointed by the poshness of the Christopher Lee character. And, yeah. and he's kind of like horrible to um, the Alex and Patricia, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He doesn't really believe them, and then he thinks oh. that they're involved in the disappearance. And also, yeah, he's not very nice. Are and we he, getting? Are we going to get on to, to Donald Pleasance now? Because yeah, I think I think we should. St- I think we should go there next. Okay. So um, apparently, Donald Pleasance, this role was written for him, and he was really keen because he likes the he, he liked the mixture of comedy and horror. Um, yeah, I mean, he's... and he may have liked that, but I find it a very difficult performance, actually. I mean, Do you? Because yeah. I loved it. I thought he was great, and I thought he was he he amused me, and I I really loved all of that. Because because it's not it's not daftness or anything like that. It's it it's it's part of his character. He's just this quite sarcastic uh, police inspector, and I quite like that. So. Uh... And I know it's actually, it's well regarded. It is very well yeah. regarded. But I personally didn't like it any more than I liked David Ladd's performance. I, I I didn't like that kind of character being the, the main character, um, partly because I didn't like the way Donald Pleasance did it. I thought, for me, it was crying out for John Thor. I think John Thor could have, and did, could have made it work, having a, like a slightly unlikable, but... A policeman who, who a bit gruff, a bit rough around the edges, but who actually you do see his heart's in the right place. Yeah. Whereas with with, with with Donald Pleasance, I'm just like, what? But, but no. I thought, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was great. I actually wrote um, that. Yeah. I, well, firstly, I, I thought because uh, I'm used to Donald Pleasance being in much more um, sort of posh and serious roles, so this was a little bit weird. Uh, and and he, he's doing a geezer type voice, which <laughs> yes, I'm not he sure is. he does that often. That, <laughs> no. that, was a bit, that took a bit of getting used to, which is fine. But then there's a bit where he does a posh voice on the phone, which then turns into a slightly mocking posh voice. Um, and I just thought it was funny. So I said, yeah, he's very funny so far. Can he have his own cop show? Far better than the moody buggers on on most detective shows. <laughs> so you you obviously got the opposite opinion to me. I thought yeah. I really wanted John Thor, and you were like, "Oh, thank God, this isn't John Thor." <laughs> yeah, basically. And, and then, and then, but I did put Paul Marshall, a bit of workplace bullying next, and so Marshall is is the uh, uh, female police officer. Yes, who just makes uh, the tea? Just makes the tea, and he orders orders her around. A lot, and seems to she seems to just act as his sort of secretary and skivvy. That's one of the reasons I found him to be unlikable. 
yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I, I just really enjoyed his performance. You wouldn't want to be in a situation where you had to rely on this bloke or had to kind of, uh, you, you know, talk to him <laughs> or be in the same room as him. <laughs> no. But I, I did enjoy watching him. And it, and it, and it, well, I think that's a typical reaction. Like I say, his performance is quite well regarded, but it's just, I don't know. I think I mean, it's quite a nice counterpoint to, I, the, to, the, to the tragedy of the, the rest of the film. Well, uh, I can see because, it definitely because, does work in that way. That, 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 that is right, yes. Because I think there's a, there's a far more interesting character who your sympathies lie with in this film. Yeah, you mean we're going we're we're going back to Hugh Armstrong, aren't we? We as, are, yeah. As, as the the man. So, um, once once all those other characters have been set up and we know where we are, then then we find out, you know, what what's actually happened to um to, to James Manfred o, OBE, and what you said before about the kind of strange way that the scene with Christopher Lee was directed, I think, is re- reflected in. The, the direction for some of the other scenes like, like oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the stuff in the police station it just yeah. looks like the director's filmed it in his like in his own house it doesn't look well, like a, a police station bit, yeah <laughs> a weird bit. it's got a weird fireplace that was the thing that looked out of place to me that that um donald pleasance's desk is is situated so that he has a fireplace behind him with a, an actual real fire burning away in it which just seemed a bit weird um the, the, okay so getting on to the next bit which i think is a, another bit that i thought was really weirdly filmed um obviously we go down to to find out what's happened to uh is it manfred yeah manfred yeah so and 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 the first thing it cuts to is is a, a kind of severed limb which we see is like an arm and then it takes about what seems like hours to go round this this strange sort of mausoleum scene of horror. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a larder, isn't it? It seems to be all the victims yeah. and in various different <laughs> bits of the missing because because I think we're presuming there's some kind of cannibalism at, at yeah. But it, it, goes, it goes on for ages and it goes right the way round. It looks at every last detail. Like it's almost it's almost sort of forensic in its in its um filming and documentation of, of the scene. And you're absolutely correct. Very odd. You're absolutely right, and it is odd, but it also is brilliant. And I think it's just yeah, like yeah. it's it's just like okay, this film so far, up to this point, seems to have been shot by amateurs yeah. <laughs> right and then and then suddenly you get something that's just like wow that is so good so so it, it's like uh, how, the, how how is this the same film <laughs> but then but i guess it, it's like it's, it's being done in an experimental way and some of it works and some of it doesn't yeah. i guess is the answer <laughs> but, but you're sort of watching it waiting for something to happen and there are noises <laughs> in the background and you're sort of waiting for something to happen nothing does but it just keeps going round looking at this little bit and 
this corpse and that thing and it's and it and it starts to be a bit unsettling after a while you're like yeah so i think that was it, it was odd but also like you said really good yeah and then you get after that you get this more or less silent scene because the two characters can't speak um but between you got the, the the man who is trying to nurse his sick partner the yeah woman. And she's obviously pregnant, and they're both like covered in sores and look really unwell. And we and yeah. we d- we discover it's actually like the plague. <laughs> they both yeah. the, they both got the black death <laughs> or something. Something they picked up from all the rats down down in the um in in the tube station or in yeah. the tube network. Um, and she dies. Um, she well, she's dying. She's really sick. He's a bit sick. Yeah. She's really sick, and he he tries to his like last desperate act to try and revive her is basically um, doesn't he cut the throat or something of, yeah. of Manfred and tries to use the blood to to to, to yeah. perk her up, which you know in a certain genre of film would work, but this isn't a, <laughs> this isn't a vampire film, so it it doesn't, and and she she dies and he's grief stricken like yeah because uh, i mean awful awful for for him terrible um experience and i think we also see around this point we see the mausoleum so we see yeah. the, the, the dead bodies of uh, essentially several generations of of, of uh, people who have spent their whole lives in this like isolated bit of tube uh, t- tunnel essentially now, and, and we've had we've had earlier on clive swiss crop up to explain what's going on because yes yeah because he's just popped in to explain the history the back, of the, background yeah, to the yeah. to the plot yeah and we go oh clive swiss from the exorcism which we we, <laughs> we we watched recently and also from those ghost stories for christmas and I, nice to yeah. see him in a feature film <laughs> yeah and then, then he disappears again for most of the film but it's a nice little appearance <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so so we do have a bit of an idea they don't rely just on you know no the, the visual um storytelling and the actors body language yeah. but but even so even so that you know close to giving us the background but the, but the actors they do show us what's going on and when you end up with the man in uh, you know real grief and pain and then um he basically goes back to the uh, because he obviously they used to be trapped, but now they can yeah. get back out into Russell Square, and so he goes back out into Russell Square, starts a fight with some tube workers, and and <laughs> I think wins, kills them all, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and 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 then um, after that, although, although I did did point, I did one of the things that, that they do touch a little bit on the, uh, the 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 science of it. I was just thinking that. Um, it doesn't really make sense for him to be able to just be super because he comes across as being quite super strong and killing these these three men because actually the the lack of light and and many other kind of uh, vitamins and things and all the deficiencies we'd have they they'd all be very very weak. Um, yeah, he must but, have scurvy as well as the people playing. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, so because there doesn't. <laughs> seem to be eating any kind of vegetables or fruit or anything down there so it's it's yeah yeah. i mean it's just a a silly detail and it doesn't really matter but yeah i just thought (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, well, I mean, his, his super strength certainly helps with the plot, doesn't it? It does, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and Alex and Patricia uh, having a nice night out, aren't they? But then they get separated on the, yeah. the train because she's forgotten her books, and he goes to get them, and then and then she he walks, but she gets off at Russell Square, and yeah. she's kidnapped by the the cannibal man, and yeah. then he. Um, but he, he, he actually sort of, he takes a bit of a shine to her in this, in a classic monster movie, monster, you know, King Kong. Yeah. Play Ray or... or um, I guess he's thinking yeah. that she might be another, another wife to well, replace his dead wife. Yes. And there's certainly, a, a, well, he, he does. Yeah. Um, because he, 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 he tries to calm her down, doesn't he? Um, yeah. But... Well, by kind of pouring at her, uh, and uh, I mean, and that, yeah, that doesn't work. But of course, it wouldn't work. And I'm just thinking, he must smell awful. Jeez, he doesn't. Yeah. Want, what? What? She wouldn't want her, him, him anywhere near her. Um, and I think he. This is where he starts uttering "mind the doors," which we famous tube announcement. We've heard it. Yeah. Um, done correctly, and that. But that's the only thing, the only language he's got. So then he's trying to communicate. You know, don't worry, I won't hurt you. But 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 yeah. using the words "mind the doors." <laughs> now now that takes some acting, but you know, Armstrong does it. I think you get you oh, get yeah, it. definitely, absolutely get it. Um, yeah. uh, uh, then she runs away, and then he but then he catches her, and then there's kind of uh, you know a, a bit that makes you uncomfortable because yeah, <laughs> uh, they they it gets know, a bit rapey, doesn't it? Basically. It, absolutely um, <laughs> um and but she, and she fights him off by whacking him on one of the like plague sores on his head yeah <laughs> and blood starts pouring out of it and stuff but but yeah he's definitely uh, assaulted her <laughs> but, but before, before she manages to do that and that's like you, you know you get this in uh, films from this era that it's, it's, they don't, yeah, they don't quite understand that they don't quite understand what they're playing with when they do stuff like that yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah um and, and it, it yeah i don't know how i feel well i just i mean it is true to the character because like you say yeah. obviously he wouldn't have boundaries and and he is considering her as kind of a replacement and, and, and but, he's, yeah he's he's Although this is obviously not, this is sort of, I guess, because he's a, a, essentially a kind of wild animal. He's yeah. tried the kind of gentle approach and that didn't work. So he, he sort of like, he lost his temper a bit. Yeah, which, absolutely. Yeah. Again, not particularly comfortable. But in the finale, the, the Donald Pleasance leads the cavalry well, the cavalry yeah. being Clive Swift and his couple his, of policemen and, and and Rogers, who's his yeah. sergeant, who's like his Dennis Waterman, yeah. <laughs> played by Norman Washington, Norman Washington, who does okay in a thankless role, really. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have much to do other than just. No, they they get drunk. Don't, don't, they get drunk together, don't they, Rogers and Calhoun? So, so essentially, what you're saying is this should have been an episode of the Sweeney. Well. No. <laughs> yeah, that that is where I was going, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the Sweeney should have been more like this. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think what happens is the, um, the man succumbs or seems to yeah. succumb to his... Um, to his many illnesses and like the plague yeah. scurvy and what what have you and and he seems to <laughs> die hit around the head several times as well, well yeah that 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 too he seems to die uh, basically in the mausoleum with the rest of his um, and that, that, again it's quite a touching little bit because he dies holding and hugging his 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 what we presume was his wife yes yes indeed billed as the woman which um, is which is i think is sort of ends on a more Again, with a bit, a little bit of sympathy for him. Yeah, and then as uh, Alex and Patricia are leaving the the tube station, um, you hear that cry of "Mind the doors, don't you?" And then that's yeah. the end. Um, yeah. One thing I noticed about the mausoleum scene that occurred to me near the end, which didn't occur to me at the beginning, because I wasn't entirely sure whether those were bodies of victims or whether they were bodies of the people that were trapped there. Uh, uh, that later on, I thought that I don't know if it's deliberate, but they're, they're all stacked very neatly on shelves. Some of them have labels on them, I think. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I thought I saw labels on them. But then it occurred to me that it's a train station. Is this like a kind of almost like a lost property room? And I thought well, actually that's that's quite clever. If that's a, like a lost property room, and, that, and he's laid all the these these mm. sort of lost people out in this lost property room. <laughs> that's that's quite clever. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's just me reading something into it. But it's a good interpretation. I didn't see anything that would yeah. challenge it. Yeah. No, that's good. And I think what you said there. You know, it wouldn't surprise me because all the scenes in the the tube network are, yeah. I mean, they're all, like following on from the first one, they're all beautifully done. They all look like uh, it's an incredible location. They really did film film it in the tube, actually. Well, it's it's Aldwych Station, which is famously um, a, a disused tube station that's used solely, pretty much for filming purposes. Um, yes. Yeah. It's, it's located on the, the Strand, I believe. Um, and actually in the film, you can see uh, there are signs telling you to the, taking you to the district line, which, uh, which of course, the Russell Square and, and the museum uh, station would not have been on the district line. <laughs> so that ruined the whole thing for me, Paul. I don't mind yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, Oldwich is actually... On the, on the district line, yeah. but it appears in everything. So if you if you have ever there's a tube station on in anything, filming wise, it tends it will most probably be Aldwych. Oh, no, and it appears in in. Um, I'm fairly certain it's in uh, the, the one used in Neverwhere, and I think it's used in any and it's used in. Uh, countless music videos have used it. I think it's used in um, possibly Superman Four. Not giving it a good, good uh, <laughs> film record here. But basically, if there's a tube station that's used for filming, it, it will have been Aldwych. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that is that is quite an interesting fact. fact. And 
you know, it makes a brilliant location and it's it's something that we haven't really seen. Yeah. Um, and I th- and I think the other locations in there are all genuinely part of the station as well. Um, the tunnels and various bits and pieces. And you can actually go on a tour of it. Obviously not at the minute, but um but generally they do do tours of, of Aldrich Station. <laughs> you can't do anything at the minute. <laughs> um, so, so... And, and of course, it is actually it is actually a, a station that is not it is obviously not used, but um, train you, trains do go past it. So I think I think you can possibly see it if you know where to look if you're going down that part of the, the line. So um, this this film reminded me of an well reminds me of, of another british horror film creep from 2004 i don't know if you've seen that it's actually i think actually quite a no. similar f- film in, in in some ways um i'm just looking at that just to see whether that was ah <laughs> so so apparently the director of creep uh, said he hadn't seen deathline oh no okay. i was inspired by american werewolf in london oh yeah yeah, you, okay. You just ripped off death. Line. Now, American Way Off in London, that tube station is actually Tottenham Court Road tube station. <laughs> yeah. Well, because they at night after it was closed. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Right. No, that, that's, that's <laughs> but it's, yeah, I think I've I think I've seen the the I remember the poster for Creep. Does it actually have a tube train on the poster? Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I know. I didn't ever did never see it, but I remember the poster. It's pretty similar to Deathline. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's okay, but but Deathline in in many ways is ahead of its time, isn't it? Because this is not yeah. like uh, this is this is not a British Gothic film. It's not Gothic at no. all. It's um, it's much more like the seventies horror films that come after it. It's much more like like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's, than yeah, anything. yeah, it's definitely it's definitely <laughs> up on the definitely ups the sort of gore level yeah um, and whilst obviously still being reasonably tame it's 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 far more gory than a lot of other things at that that time certainly of uh certainly of the the, the british horror and you have Donald Pleasance as a bridge to the next era of horror because yeah. although he was in a number of these um, classic British horror films he really made his international rep- reputation for horror with Halloween didn't he? <laughs> his yeah, association yeah. association with John Carpenter so um, and then that's definitely the next era of horror so I think, um, I think that's probably I imagine that's probably how we got to know of him as an actor, probably for the John Carpenter films. Well, th- maybe Halloween, but b- before that, for me, it was The Great Escape. But then- oh, okay, <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's very good in The Great Escape. Well, <laughs> I sort of, I sort of remember him long before I saw Halloween. I think I remember him in Prince of Darkness. Oh yeah, yeah. Is it like a priest in that? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's all right. Um, yeah, yeah, but. But you, you know, yeah. You know, so death, deathline for me just seems really ahead of its time. And yeah. and at this point, there were a lot of creative 
uh, horror films because you're at the kind of the tail end of, aren't you of this movement so they all started off like yeah like like hammer films and then they then they become very different from hammer films <laughs> by, yeah. by, by, by the early 70s and and Deathline for me is like blood on satan's claw it's one of those films that wasn't thought of um so much you know maybe 15 20 years ago because you know people were talking about the wicker man <laughs> yeah um and don't look now but but um as as people have looked more at what was being done they've been like oh there's other really good films from that period as well so uh, this this is one that, that's tended to to come up a lot more recently and it seems to have also followed a, a fairly similar pattern um of not doing that well in yeah. britain and then doing well as a cult film uh, yeah yeah outside of britain did well as raw meat in, in in america i think probably relatively speaking i don't think it was a massive hit but no, yeah. <laughs> but i think it did it did okay um and i i understand from the Hugh Armstrong interview I watched that that he actually did pretty well in France. So okay, <laughs> but but then of course you know there was a there was a market for British horror all over the world at that time. And so, yeah, that might that would be quite interesting. It did well in France because that explains something. I watched a um, it's, it's I can't remember what it's called, but there's some on YouTube. There was there's a channel that shows trailers that are introduced and have little voiceovers from slightly famous filmmakers who like them and there's one with Edgar Wright so he's rather fond of this film and and he he mentioned this film Deathline or he said it was Raw Meat or as it is known in the UK Deathline and then he also quoted what it was called in France and I thought that's a bit weird why did he just quote the French title of that but actually, if you're saying it, it did really well in France, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so Edgar Wright likes this film. <laughs> Though not enough to give it its, <laughs> its British title. But then, no, no, that's good. Edgar Wright is um, a director that we admire. So, I, yeah. I, I, I think. And I think it's also a favourite of, of the comedian Robin Ince as well. Ah, uh, Robin Ince, yes. Yeah. Yes. Whose uh, long association with. Alan Moore is particularly notable, I think. Um, okay. At least for me, for me, anyway. <laughs> what's, what's his association with Alan Moore? I don't know. You've probably met him once. I don't okay. know. I, I always think of them together for some reason. Okay. Um, but but I, th- I, th- I think they, I think they, they, Alan Moore's probably just been a guest on his podcast. <laughs> Come to think of probably. it. Probably. Isn't there, um, yeah, there's, there's a, like a, 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 anyway, I'm not going to talk about comedy. <laughs> because I don't know enough no. about comedy. Um, but I will say as well, if you look at the bottom of this Wikipedia um, page, that, that Ramsey Campbell is a fan. And yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I knew he was He was quite... Mm. And we like Ramsey Campbell. As... Well, I, the other thing uh, I wanted to say as well is about Hugh Armstrong. Is, yeah. is firstly, uh, he, obviously his performance is brilliant. Yeah. But I think he deserves some sort of um, Oscar... <clears throat> For his dribbling acting, <laughs> he does impressive dribbling acting. It's it's probably the best dribbling acting I've I've ever seen. In these days, horror films didn't get no didn't get nominated. <laughs> no, I mean, it, but you know, if there was a category for best dribbling, it, it's it a very yeah. 
it's a very powerful performance. Yeah, <laughs> it, re- it, it really is. He really throws himself into it. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's right. So one other thing I really want to mention um, is the theme music at the, be- the beginning. That's really... God, that's awful. Well, it, it is, but it's sort of... And, um, and the Blu-ray that is playing on the menu screen, which makes you want to skip past that pretty quickly. But throws a disc out. But but it is sort of catchy, and also it's very different from a James Bernard score. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's when I because I, this was the first time I'd, I'd watched this because I hadn't seen it before. Uh, I'd watched it this time, uh, and when it opened, I'll tell you what I did right about it when it opened it's, it's obviously quite funky and i was thinking yeah. uh, this doesn't bode well because it, it instantly reminded me of something like dracula ad 1972 oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which oddly is, is is a film that lots of people love now it's, it's got quite a big following and and i haven't seen it obviously since our kind of school stroke college days um but yeah so i did wonder if it was going to be like all swinging and hip but it actually isn't which is quite good but it's quite it's it's quite a train themed thing so it has i think the melody of it is quite sort of like a train sound oh yeah oh yeah yeah Yeah. the other thing the other thing music related although i don't think this is really music related was that i noticed the makeup was by peter frampton and I thought while he was doing like your foundation, is he talking to you through a vocoder? <laughs> uh, um, I'm sure it's not that, Peter Frampton. I I don't even know. I laugh, but I don't even know who Peter you don't, I, know, I could tell. I could tell. <laughs> no, but I wanted to keep it going for our BBC uh, sound listeners. But there's the, <laughs> but the <laughs> 70s prog rock fans in our listenership will, will, will be really liking the fact that I mentioned that. Uh, okay, yes. Peter Frampton is an English rock musician. <laughs> he was previously He's famous so- for you. Vakoda, yeah. Vakoda? Yeah, it's the thing that elect- makes your voice sound electronic. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, no, no, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not. He's got a big entry on Wikipedia, but it doesn't mention makeup any anywhere. How? Yes, I think that was a different Peter Frampton. That, that was my point. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for explaining that joke to me. I did need it. I did need it. This is yeah. Okay, and, great. And- and I did the other person that I, that I recognised straight away was Ron Pember. So he oh, plays yes, the lift well, attendant in the, in the he plays the lift attendant in the in the um, in the tube station, and uh, and he's pops up all over the place, mostly playing sort of dodgy policemen or strangely sort of oddly officious people as well. But he's most most recognisable, I think, for me from the Red Dwarf episode. Uh, is it the is it the Better Than Life one, the one where where um, is he the taxman? He's the taxman in that. That yeah. is Better Than Life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, <laughs> Ron Pember. But he appears in lots of things. Again, he's like the the, the other guy, the, the the minister guy. 
No, he's in lots of stuff. No, that that is that is pretty good. Yeah, I do like him. Okay, he's so, also in Doctor obligatory Doctor Who reference there. He's also in the um, Eric Sayward uh, radio episode Slipback oh. as, as a policeman. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really obscure Doctor Who reference. <laughs> yeah, I've, I listened to that. That's got Balancing Dial in yeah. one of his last ever performances. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's Eric say we're desperately trying to do Douglas Adams. Yeah. But, you know, we nearly got through a whole episode without mentioning Doctor Who. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. We haven't been to Doctor Who for a while, so I just thought I would bring it in. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing was that looking through, I was just looking up various articles to do with this film. Oh, yeah. One I found actually likens this to the Grenfell disaster, which I thought was a bit weird. Oh, no, I get that. But the, the idea is, yeah, it, 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 so they're arguing that it's, it's all to do with the, the theme of the rich abandoning the responsibility to the poor. Yeah. So, so there is. Um... It's been argued in some of the material. I also saw quite a heavy class theme in, in, in this because yeah. you know we do hear that the the um, the man and the woman are descended from poor people who were essentially yeah. abandoned because of the financial system. It, it just wasn't worth anyone's while looking for the even looking for the bodies and they didn't assume like now you'd look for survivors they were just like oh well they're gone so that's uh, so, so, so that that you get that basically the 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 blood, bloody vengeance that's wrought on on oh, uh, manfred obe or what a man the obe whatever yeah. it was um it is kind of revenge from what happened to yeah, his class did, did to their class, and Donald Pleasance is very much a wor working, supposed to be a working class hero, not like yeah. not in the John Lennon sense, but in the, yeah. in the sense that he, so he's a bit of different as a lead character to, to what you would might expect in um, a Hammer movie where yeah. the, the, the policeman wouldn't be the main character, it'd be some professor or, or duke or something. <laughs> Or, so you know, some member of the upper classes or the the upper middle class. Um, so so I, I can see that th there is that subtext. Yeah. In in this film, though it's it's weird that it's because like, uh, it it's like an Anglo-American movie, and and and, it, and it's weird for Americans to try and um, do something about the class system yeah. because generally speaking. Uh, it doesn't apply in America where it's all to, well, I mean, as far as I understand it, it America is much more focused on money rather than class. Where, whereas yeah, in, in Britain, we, we have that the class system as, as um, embodied by that, um, that sketch with Ronnie Barker, Ronnie Corbett and John Cleese. Yeah. <laughs> and that's still pretty much the, <laughs> how the class system works in the UK. And, uh, but, and death, death lines, <laughs> Yeah, the the fun's playing with it, but I think it's it's um it's an undercurrent. It, this isn't this isn't a, a like a Ken Loach horror film. It's not class warfare, but but there's an undercurrent. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I'd like to see like, Ken Loach or Mike Lee try and do like cannibals on the tube. <laughs> That'd be quite quite a good idea, actually. But, but no, this isn't quite like that. <laughs> um, I, I had something to say. And I, I'm, I'm yeah. glad this is my final point and I've got nothing. Right. Okay. So this this was um, an Anglo-American co-production. I mentioned Alan Ladd. He was producing it on behalf of our friends at AIP, the big American American yeah. International, the big, in fact, the big American company who'd done the Roger Corman films and whom um, had a couple of years previously worked with Hammer on the Vampire Lovers, and then gone. Yeah, that was a nightmare. We're never working with Hammer again. <laughs> and, but instead, they they, they teamed up with Rank. So it was the, yeah, the, right, yeah. on the UK side, it was the Rank organisation, so who who were very big sort of domestic UK uh, people. I think they owned cinemas and things, and were behind the Carry On movies. And and they did. Uh, they also worked a lot with Hammer, particularly in the later years. So um, mm. it was good. Good good to see um uh ai aip involved and you know uh, again it shows that even though i mean hammer had burnt all their international bridges by this point <laughs> there was still um there was still interest uh, quite a lot of interest around the world in in, in this in in british horror and i've got nothing else no i, really I haven't else either no okay well um th- thank you everyone for making us so wealthy by downloading uh, this podcast exclusively <laughs> through BBC Sounds. <laughs> I, I don't know where I'm even going with that. I don't know where you're going with that. <laughs> I think you just drop it. Okay. I don't think it was that successful at the beginning. I know, but sometimes if you keep saying something, it starts to work, even though it hasn't worked <laughs> before. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. No. Um, uh, yeah, so if you, if you want to uh, complain about Chris's use of uh, BBC Sounds, oh, uh, yeah, you, you could do that. You could absolutely. You do can that. do that. No, don't, don't, don't complain to the BBC though. Don't complain to the BBC, no. Um, but uh, yeah, if you do want to get in touch with us, um, preferably to say nice things, then. Uh, you can contact us on Facebook, where we're at Very British Horror, or on Twitter, where we're at Very Brit Horror, or by email, where we are a very British Horror at gmail.com. Yes, and, and do that before I'm replaced by Ricky Gervais. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, I've still been Chris Denton. And I say that, and I'm still Paul Monk. <laughs> or Stephen Merchant. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, shush. <laughs> All right, good night. All right, bye. <laughs>